0: this is the truth if we turn things upside down we can't expect goodness to win in the world I would be lying to you if I said that the human race has a great future ahead that altruism could replace egotism that your lives could be filled with joy that your children could be safe and healthy Before anything, you must know the human race does not deserve these things. And I am convinced of this because I know you. Corruption and hypocrisy are in your nature. Compassion breeds weakness when only the strong survive. And I refuse to believe under any circumstance that you can turn things around in the coming years. This world may be sinking to new depths, but there are even more revelations to come. The human race has only one destiny, and whether you like it or not, this is what is real. I am the Lord your God and you should know that I believe exactly the opposite I am the Lord your God this is what is real and whether you like it or not the human race has only one destiny there are even more revelations to come this world may be sinking to new depths but you can turn things around in the coming years. I refuse to believe under any circumstances that compassion breeds weakness when only the strong survive, and corruption and hypocrisy are in your nature. And I am convinced of this because I know you. The human race does not deserve these things before anything you must know that your children could be safe and healthy that your lives could be filled with joy that altruism could replace egotism the human race has a great future ahead I would be lying to you if I said that we can't expect goodness to win in the world.
1: If we turn things upside down, this is the truth. That would be the finish of that. How many felt the sinking pit in your stomach as you first read the first part of that? Can I see a show of hands? Did you feel a lot of condemnation and garbage in there? Okay. Well, when we flip it around, the same words, they're going backwards the other way. How did you feel? Liberated. I felt better. It was like, wow. So would you agree, and the the point of the illustration of the video is to say this, words have power. Words can shape your emotions. They can dictate how you act. They generate something in us. Would you agree? And then as I began to think about the power of words, and you st- read at the beginning of this book, it says in Genesis, God spoke and things happened. So if God spoke the world into existence, that means that words in his word has power. So really, if you boil it all down to what words are, words have two sources, really. The carnal, fleshly nature of words that human beings use or God's words really, when we boil it down, we have two options. And what I want to talk to you about today is what God says. God says words that God says about you. Next week, I'm going to talk about words we say about others, words that others say about us, and words that you say about yourself. But today, I want to focus in on what does God's word say? Because as you read the truth, The first part, do you know that millions of people believe the first part, but they don't flip it upside down and know the real truth? People live every day under condemnation because they don't understand the truth and the love of Jesus. Here's a couple of quick facts that I, 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 as I word studied, how many of you know how many words an average man speaks a day? Any guess? (laughs) Depends on who the man is. If it's John Wayne, maybe three. The average man speaks about 7,000 words a day. Guess how much females speak per day? 20,000 words a day. This is a scientific fact. Now, if you're in my household, let's flip that around. I speak 20,000. Hope speaks about seven. So we're opposite. I'm a freak. What can I say? But no, uh, the reality is, is that, you know, w- words uh, affect females and males. We, we come from it from a different sta- vantage point, but it's what we say. And how many understand who are married that what you say to your wife, you better measure your words because she'll have three coming back at you. You can play that back. Seven times three is 21,000. Okay. So anyway, words have power. We use words. Words shape us. And in Proverbs 18, it says it like this, verse 21, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so I can arbitrarily use words, but if words, to me, it has something like this, I can say all day, man, I'm the head, not the tail. God's blessing me going in. He's blessing me going out. But how many understand that those words are empty and hollow if it's not birthed in here? Do I really believe what I'm saying? And so there's power in the words, but there's power behind the words. And, you know, um, there's, a, there's an example I saw in California. There was this pole vaulter, state tournament. He was uh, the last to jump for his team, and he had to clear a certain height, and he got to the top of it, and he knocked the bar over. Anyway, his, his place, his standing there was third. He finished third in that thing. But when he was knocking over the bar a number of what I'm assuming would be a lot of four-letter words came out of his mouth as he knocked the bar over. I won't repeat them, but I, apparently it was very expletive. And he knocks the bar over. Will the judges hear it? He gets disqualified. Now, if he had kept his, third, his mouth shut and his third place standing, his team would have won the state title. But because he opened his mouth with a lot of four-letter words, his team got punished, he got disqualified, and they lost the state title. How many understand that your words also affect others? This is something, no man is an island under himself. Even if you were in a cave for 30 years, what you speak will affect one human being, you. You can't escape. And Jesus said it best. He said, out of the treasure of your heart, the mouth speaks. So the words, we hear a lot about words these days. The tension is what we hear out there and what we hear in here and what comes up out of here. Our words reflect our beliefs. It goes like this. If you have a good thought, you'll speak a good word. If you speak a good word, you'll have a good action. If you have a good action, you'll create a good habit, and a good habit creates a good destiny. Let's turn that around. Have a bad thought, chew on it for a while, speak that bad thought. That bad thought creates a bad what? Action, which creates a bad habit, which creates a bad destiny. There's momentum here. I want you to think about this for a while. So when you say, okay, Ryan, is there really, you know, uh, am, I, am I saying that we need to create a culture of word police that we're all just, oops, don't say that. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is birth in you, as Jesus said, the treasure that's in your heart or the lack of treasure will come out. And that can create momentum in your life. Now, in Genesis 3, we have a picture the, the serpent is a picture of the enemy, the devil. The devil uses the serpent to speak some crafty things. But here at the very beginning, watch what, watch what happens in Genesis 3. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. This is the Adam and Eve story. So he says to the woman, what does he say? Did God really say? Did God really say? And since that time, that question has been leveraged against any God-seeker on the face of the planet day and night. Do you know that our enemy asks that same question to you every cotton-picking day? Did God really say your marriage could be restored? Did God really say that he wants to bless? Did God really say he wants to heal you? Did God really say he wants your family saved? Because my circumstances don't say that, Ryan. But what happens is the enemy gets a stronghold in our minds and, and he uses that question. But then here's hears hears another one he asks. Is, he says, did God say we really have to forgive people? Because after all, I deserve, Ryan deserves to be forgiven, but I don't have to forgive you. Did God really say that? Because I like my offense. In fact, so much, I'll pitch a tent on it and we'll have a campfire over it. Hello. So I want grace for me, but I don't want to give you grace. Because did God really say? Did God say? It's the oldest trick in the book. This is the truth, that Jesus is the word. He is the word that is spoken. He is the word. It says the Bible, in the Bible it says the seed is the word of God. Now what has to be settled is, whose words are we using? Confucius' words? Buddha's words? Allah's words? Or the name above all names words? Jesus' words. And that has to be settled. And so in Matthew 4, here's the audacity of our enemy. (laughs) In Matthew 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Let me tell you, the enemy knew who Jesus was. The audacity to tell the King of kings and the Lord of lords, If you are the Son of God... What arrogance. And watch what Jesus says. But he answered and said, what? What did he say? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, what's interesting is that word for word is a Greek word called rhema. A little lesson on this word called rhema. Rhema is the Greek translation of that word. So it says here, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What Jesus, first of all, if I think about this logically, what is he telling me? He's saying that if I don't live on the word of God, I die. Isn't that what he's saying pretty much? I mean, if you don't, we live on the word of God. Now I need to eat food, but I also need his word. And if you look at the fruit of our lives, when we're pumping a lot of word in us, what usually happens? We grow. When we're not pumping in a lot of word, this word, what happens? We get weak. I mean, this is common sense to me. But you know what? If the enemy can distract you from feeding on the word of God, even though he was defeated 2,000 years ago on the cross, he beats you because of your apathy towards the word. And he does that because he tells a lie that says the word doesn't matter. And did God really say? Are you hearing this? you will have an opportunity every phase of your life to get into agreement with what God's word said or what the devil says. Because the devil will always say, did God really say? What I'm saying to you is God's word trumps what the devil says. Every time, every time. Genesis 12, verse 1. This is uh, the story of Abraham. Abraham, well, actually, let me, let, me, let me go back to that. I mentioned that word Ramah. Let me explain something about that. In that word, throughout the New Testament, the word for word, there's two, two translations, rhema and logos. How many of you heard about this? L- logos and rhema. Okay, logos would be translated the actual physical, physical the revelation, the written word of God in written form, okay? I want you to get a picture of that, that the written word of God. Rhema then, if, if that is the canon that says God said, then rhema is the active word that God is saying. Are you getting this? So it's the same word, but when I speak a scripture, let's say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever I believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, right? But now what happens one day? I read that verse. I've read it a thousand times. I read that one verse, and it says, for God so loved Ryan that he died for him. Are you getting this? All of a sudden, the same scripture I've read a thousand times pops off the page. And that condemnation, I was feeling, oh, Lord, you died for me personally. I got a personal revelation. It was active in that moment. Are you guys hearing this? It's active. So how many of you read the book here? Now, be honest, you've read this book a thousand times, maybe, or maybe you haven't read it. Maybe you've barely read it. And you read a verse and you read it for about an hour and you don't have a clue about what you just read. Because I did my religious thing, right? You know, I, 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 I socked up points with the man upstairs. No, what happens is when you read that thing, all of a sudden, as the Holy Spirit hits you like this, he'll give you rhema and he'll say, oh my gosh, it says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. I believe that. I've read that a thousand times. I don't buy it. But one day, one day, yes, that's me. For God so loved you, so loved me. He gave his only son. I use that verse because that's for someone today. That's for someone today to know how much he loves you. So Rhema and Logos. So what Jesus did, that word that he used against the enemy, that was the word Rhema. He used it, the word, he used the written word as a weapon against his enemy in the here and the now. Are you getting this? So when sickness comes on you, you say, He is the Lord, and I by his stripes I am healed. And that's, 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 that's rhema and, and, and with the way God speaks that to us. And not only that, but in our day-to-day little things in life. See, in this book, there's, there's plans to live well, but who do I marry? What's my next job opportunity? What church should I go to? Life Church. Life Church. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plug, that was was flesh, that wasn't the Lord. (laughs) So, rhema. I mean, there are decisions we make. God will speak through people. He'll speak through circumstances. And all of a sudden, and and how many understand that when you get a rhema word, it cannot violate this word ever? So, for instance, if somebody came up to me and and said, you know, Ryan, uh, you know, I feel like the Lord's calling me to rob the bank across the street. I mean, I feel a heavy anointing for do that. Well, I would say you're a crook, but are you getting this? It cannot violate this. We measure, uh, but God speaks to us personally today. And you know what? We look at Abraham, which I'm going to tell this story. We look at the story of Abraham and we say, oh my gosh, God spoke to him directly. And we marginalize that experience and we say, no, that was only back then. He can't possibly do that to me personally. Does he really care for me personally like that today? Without a doubt, yes. Without a doubt. And in in Genesis 12, I want to show you this picture of Abraham. Some of you are going to see this in a completely different way, that you've never seen this story before. And my my hope is that by the end of this sermon, I promise not to go too long-winded, by the end of this sermon, you will have a rhema about something in your life that you need to use not only this week, but every day. A fresh anointing every day. And so, let's go into Genesis 12. I'm going to use a lot of scripture. I hope you don't mind today. I don't think you would, would you? Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. couple of things I want you to think about. Number one, he's 75 years old at this time and his name Abram means exalted Father problem is he didn't have a kid his name was exalted father but he didn't have a kid well abram then hears the word of god and says you know what i'm going to go and obey i'm going to get out of my country now here's one that's free some of you need to get out of your old bondages your old habits some of you need to ditch some of your people places and things get out And go into your promised land. Get out, the Lord's saying. Now, I'm not saying leave your family. What I am saying, any lifestyle, anything that is prohibiting you from the goodness of God, you ditch it like a bad habit. I am preaching way better than you are responding today. (laughs) Ditch it. But now here's... So Abram, he obeys. He says, yeah, I'm going to do that. Genesis 13, we move on to the next chapter. Chapter. So he's agreeing with God. He's saying, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. By the way, God blessed him with enormous wealth. Genesis 13, verse 15, For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. Notice God saying something. He said he's going to bless him in chapter 12. Now we're in chapter 13, and here's what he's saying. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that a man could number the dust of the earth. Then your descendants could also be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Notice now we have a revelation. God gives him a word. He obeys. Now he says another word. He, he repeats what he just said before, but now he says, go and walk in it. Phase two, progressive revelation. Some of you are saying, God, I've got plans. I've got things that you have birthed in my heart and you're going from A to Z, but you've got to go to A to B first because the revelation is progressive. I've got plans that I, I see in this city for real life change, but I can't go from A to Z because God's got to do some work on me. He's got to clean up some piggy things. No, don't look at me like I'm perfect. Hello? But so, so he's got something. I'm not saying I've got this horrible, egregious sin. Now don't go, oh, Pastor Ryan's got the skeleton in his closet. Believe me, my wife will expose it. I promise you. <laughs> but, but God does things we're processes. He's got to do something in Abram. And this is what I want you to see. So the revelation is progressive. Okay, we move on to the next chapter. Chapter 15 now. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless. This is the third time God's talked to him on this. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Okay. Now Abram didn't question God at the beginning. He didn't say, Okay, is it gonna be a boy or a girl? Is it gonna be is it gonna be uh, you know of my own loins or is it gonna be somebody else? And what he's saying right here is he's obeyed up to this point, but what he's saying here is, is that ah, I can only go by what I see, since my name is father and I have no kids, then somebody in my household will be that the Eliezer will be the that'll be the, the heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. So, see, he didn't mind God. God didn't mind his questions, but now he's getting more answers. Are you seeing the personal nature of this revelation progress? Okay, we move forward. Verse 5, he says, Then he brought him outside, look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. Why does God keep telling him this? Why? Because we have a tendency to forget the revelation of God. And we need to hear it over and over and over and over. Just like when you're reading this book and you read it a thousand times and it says in Malachi, it says, open up the storehouse, Lord, that the windows of heaven would pour out such a blessing. But Lord, I don't see it. Well, neither did Abraham. Are you watching this? This is good. Good. This is good. Here we are. Verse 4, he says, from your own body, you're going to have your heir. Keep in mind how old he is. Well, then he brings him outside, says, look towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to them, so shall your descendants be. Three times God said the same thing. By the way, there was no Bible before Abraham. Moses wrote the law. Moses wrote, are you guys following this? He had a relationship. He was in in a relationship with, with the Lord. And he believed in the Lord, verse 6, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So he believes God. But his actions up to this point have believed God. Now, I will say, Abraham was not a saint. I mean, on the way and on his journey to fulfilling the promise that God had, he takes his wife and he tells his his wife uh, was quite the looker, really. And the, 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 the Egyptian guy likes the king, looks at his wife and says, I'd like her. And he says, Well, she's my sister. And bad things happen. Okay. Uh, so he made a mistake. And it was a big kerfuffle, but God delivers him out of that situation. And, and here we are. So he's on his way. And we go 10 years later. He's in this land. He's in this land. He's now 86. So he's 86, and can you imagine, okay, think about this, guys. Now, let's be real. You have a promise from God. God's speaking to you. He's given you a dream, and you've had it for years, and it's camped there. Think about Abraham. Abram, he's 76 or 75, then he gets the word at 75, then he's 86. He's still hearing this. He had 11 years to have the enemy say, did God really say? Huh. 11 years to talk himself out of God's miracle. 11 years to say, no, it doesn't work. 11 years for other Christians to come and say, that's a bunch of hooey. If I can't see it, I won't believe it. But God says, believe it and then you'll see it. So Genesis 16, we're moving on. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar, So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Do you detect a hint of blame there? Just a hint? Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Oh, buckets. Houston. We have a problem. Now, I want you to camp on this. In the verse, the, the chapter right before, did it not say Abram believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness? Did we not read that? The next chapter, what are you doing? Giving your, you, hello, Sarah? I won't even preach on that, that whole thing. <laughs> I'm not even going there. But I will say, what, what, what was he thinking and here's the thing, are we so different at times that we'll hear the word of the Lord and all of a sudden, no, i got to make it happen. I'm going to do it in the flesh. And we get 50,000 steps above God. We get way out in front of God. He had no business, and then we expect him to fund our mistake. We expect him to fix our mistake when there's a process that we have to go through. And here's the, here's the reality. <laughs> out, of that, out of that situation was birthed Ishmael. And that was a child. And so now all of a sudden they're looking at Ishmael as he the heir. How many understand that when you get out of the plan of God, you will birth Ishmael's in your life? Now here's the really cool part. When you birth an Ishmael in your life, God has a plan B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, P, W, X, Y. And I think we run out of letters with Z. Z. He never gives up. He never quits. But what I want to camp on again was that one verse that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. We see a few chapters later, he's far from acting righteous. So he tries to quick fix it. Fast forward 13 years later, Genesis 17, verse 5. Abram is now 99, 24 years after God's first mention of the promise. 24 years. Genesis 17:5 says no longer shall your name be called Abram but your name shall be Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations. So now he's not he's no longer exalted father. Now he's a father of many nations. And that H is symbolic for the breath of God. Even saying the word Abraham it's the spirit of God inserting himself into the situation. Literally the breath of God breathed over him and says you're new. You're different. You're mine, and I've got a plan, and I'm going to bless you. You're not perfect, but I'm going to make you famous, Abraham, because you believe God and it was accredited as righteousness. Are you understanding this? So a year later, it happens. Abraham, at age 100, has his son. God changes Sarah's name. She's 90 at this point. And here's what I want you to think about. Here's... here's Here's the part with heads bowed, eyes closed, But I want you to think about. This was a short, sweet, to the point, with heads bowed, eyes closed. Where is God and what truth, what rhema word like he gave to Abraham? Where can he insert the breath of God into your life? Where can he insert that dream, that plan, that vision, that promise, into your life. Where can he... Where are you open? Where are you saying, yes, Lord, I realize I've missed a few steps. I've made mistakes. Where is that? I want you to, with your eyes closed, I want you to just think about that. Dave, you can come on up. We're going to close. I want you to think about what God has to say to you personally. He's going to be speaking here. And here's the thing. If we make time for him in our quiet moments... God will speak to you. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to just camp on that. And I'm going to read to you, I'm going to read to you this letter, this email that my father emailed me on December 19th, 2008. We're almost to Father's Day. I was going to read it next week, but the Lord, he wants it read now. But it was 2008, and the Lord had spoke to me about starting a church. And to be honest, I was in, I was afraid. It was a specific revelation. It was a rhema word to me. I'd never been a pastor, and I'm thinking, Lord, how do I do this? I've got Pastor Arnie; he can help. But I mean, again, what do I do? I got to give up my family. I got to give not my family. I got to give up my job, my, my security blanket. Well-paying job, 15 years of equity in the broadcast news industry. How do I do this? And, Lord, what if people don't come? All these doubts. I did what Abraham said, that Abraham did, and what God has asked each of you to do is to get out of that country and that old way of thinking, get out, get out, get out, get out. And let him breathe, Ramah, breathe that H, that into your into your life. Here's what my dad said to me. I'm going to read it verbatim. It was at 6.30 a.m. and God spoke to my dad and it said, my dad's name is Dan. And here's what the Lord spoke to my dad and he passed it on to me. He said, Daniel, even though people are continually doing evil in my sight and are being handed over to the presser, I am continually working to raise up unlikely ones like your son in whom I've caused my spirit to stir, impelling him to do the work that I have called him to do so that people might be brought back to me. He and his family are under my protection, provision, and guidance, but he must be careful to guard his heart, not allowing moral and spiritual weakness to make his calling ineffective, for the power for doing my work rests in a holy life. Therefore, continually pray that his heart might remain pure before me, Pray that he might place all of his trust in and confidently take refuge in me alone. And I, for my part, will see to it that he is never put to shame or is in any confusion, but will faithfully guide him and his family throughout the years. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, preparing people for my coming into their lives, turning hearts back to me. Do not be disbelieving. Simply believe what I am saying to you, for my words must certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. As my father, as I read that... What you don't realize is that at the moment that I got that, an incredible surge of doubt was hitting me. God's timing is amazing. And what I want to tell you is that that word that he gave to me, the Lord said, insert your name too, because that same spirit that works in me works in you, works in you and wants to set you free. Maybe not to be a pastor, but to liberate your your family, to liberate your neighborhoods, to liberate the bondages that have had you. You're free. This is the Spirit of the Lord. And in this, His Word, my dad's Word, the power of words, the timing of words, that Word helped propel me to make a decision to trust God and to do. I talked to my father oh a couple months ago. He confessed to me, he said, Son, I didn't know if you could do this. And I was really scared for you. But I heard that one day, that one day, God spoke to me personally. Personally. And here we are today. Do you know how badly I want this for you? Heads, bad eyes closed. Lord, I come to you right now. I'm asking that you soften the hearts. Let them know how much you love them. You took an alcoholic ex-drunk, terrible with money, terrible with his words, cussing like a sailor, hating people, forgiving no one. Someone who felt like his life was completely... In shambles, and you turned it upside upside down. You took an unlikely person, and you gave hope to an ex-drunk. You gave hope to a an addict who, who was living a life that was not exactly exemplary. And you flipped it upside down, and you said, "Yep, you'll be my you'll be my mouthpiece for this generation and the generation after." Because my word does not return void. And that seed that my parents spoke over me as a child. They trained me up. Thank you, mom and dad. You weren't perfect, but thank you. I honor you for that. For speaking Jesus into my life and asking me to experience him. And in the day, in the darkness, in the worst hour. Your word did not return void. And I'm liberated in Jesus' name. And I pray that over the people here today right now. I break over every word curse. You've been told that you are worthless. You toss that out. The Spirit of God is telling you right now you are more than a conqueror. He has a great plan for your life. And He wants you. He died for you because He so loves you personally. Receive that rhema that He's speaking to you right now. Words, what God says is powerful. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you say, Ryan, I don't even know if I really believe this God stuff. <laughs> you can. And it's a choice. And the moment you make that choice, your life will forever change. If you if you don't know, if you're not right with the Lord, no condemnation here, people mess up. I'm living testimony. But if you want a life that has... Not If your life has not worked for you and you're honest about it, if you are honest about the fact that your life has not worked for you and it's in shambles or it's got some issues, and you know what? You know it. You know it. And you say, well, I don't know if I'm right with God. It doesn't mean that you act perfectly. What it means is, is you're saying, <laughs> what it means is you're saying you're turning over lordship. You're saying, God, I know I'm going to have some Abraham moments where not everything's perfect. And I probably will birth some Ishmael's. But it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited in his righteousness. I want that righteousness. I want that relationship. I want it right now. If you have not sure if you were to die today, if you were to be with the Lord, you can be sure just like that. Please raise your hand and we'll make sure. Hallelujah. Hands all over room. One, two, three, four, five, six. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I want you to put your hands down. And when you say this prayer, this isn't just a religious utterance. I want you to make sure... You go inward here because when you say it, let's mean it. Otherwise, don't say it. Let's mean it. Don't say it rote. And I'll tell you, this little prayer changed my life. I heard Pastor Arnie lead, he led me to the Lord, and that one prayer changed my life. It can change yours. And it goes something like this Father in heaven, I know I'm a sinner, but by your grace, I am saved through faith. I believe you. And it's accredited to me as righteousness. I make you my Lord. And thank you for being my Savior. I give you my heart. And in God's power, I consider it done. Amen. Would you give a hand for those who accepted the Lord today?